0: or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996.
1: Okay, welcome back. Um, Usually now we go around and say our names. Um, I'm George. Jordan. My name, Robert. 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 My name is Mark. My name is Jerry. My name is Stephen. I'm Brad. Kevin. My name is Cass. <coughs> My name is Bob. I'm Richard. Jack. I'm Johnny. Don. Marcus.
2: And hey Marcus. Welcome. Welcome. And welcome all on uh, Soon. Our speaker today is Alan Levin. Uh, Alan is in- M-A-L-M-F-T is a longtime explorer of the interface of psychological and spiritual development, social political activism, and the ceremonial use of ethnogenic plants uh, and other substances. He has been a licensed psychotherapist since 1985 and established a nonprofit eco-psychology training program holos institute in california he has been meditating and teaching different forms of meditation for several decades he now resides with his wife in rockland county new york and together they work at sacred river healing he's a co-author of crossing the boundary stories of jewish leaders of other spiritual paths and leads a webinar series staying sane while making the world better Welcome, Alan.
3: Yeah, well, thank you very much, and uh, I'm really honored to be here. Uh, thank you from to my uh, good friend and brother uh, Bharat for inviting me this time. Uh, I think I was here with you about a year ago or, or more, and uh, this is a kind of continuation on a similar theme. So... I'm sure you're, you're all quite aware that in the last, uh, decade or so, and especially increasingly in the last several years, there's been an explosion of interest and people becoming involved in, uh, the use of, of substances that alter consciousness, whether we call them psychedelics or entheogens or pathogens. Um, there's uh, movements to make them more available, more legally. Uh, There are studies being done at uh, a good number of universities and hospital-based treatment locations in New York, California, Colorado, even uh, what we call red states. And um, the explosion of use, explosion of interest, you know, is creating a lot of opportunities and, and of course, a lot of problems. Um, so I just want to first talk a little bit about um, my own experience, um, which was initially in the 60s as a kind of flower child uh, finding various ways to explore these things like lsd at the time particularly and um it definitely had a very very big impact on my life it changed the direction of my life towards spirituality and spiritual practice and i then became a part of a a group that taught a a particular model, a particular path of meditation called Agni Yoga. And, uh, as most spiritual groups, especially at the time, they told us we shouldn't use any of these kinds of substances. And so I didn't. And so there was about 10 years of intensive, disciplined practice. Um, and uh, for various reasons, I, I exited that group about 1980. And was then reintroduced to the use of uh, some of the psychedelic ex- uh, substances in a very different way than I'd I'd been uh, experiencing them earlier. Uh, that way was a very intentional, uh, carefully guided in a in a very carefully arranged setting. Uh, aiming basically for uh, spiritual growth. And that's uh, been a big part of what I have experienced with them since that time. Also, as a psychotherapist, uh, which I used to practice in California, now I'm in New York. And as a psychotherapist, I'm aware of some of the people that I work with Uh, wanting to or already going to various guides and uh, group settings where they experience uh, sometimes very strong psychedelic experiences. And so I've become very interested in what is two stages of what we could call a journey process that surround the actual experience of an altered state, um, with a, with a substance. So, uh, the first stage is preparation. And what that means is, uh, well, in fact, I, I just recently published, uh, self-published a self published, a book on Amazon called Preparation for a Sacred Psychedelic Journey. It's just a little book, as you can see. And uh, but it's sort of a, a manual, a helpful guide, uh, because I've seen so many people go jump into these things without really seriously considering what they're getting into and what the potentials are for it. So I can talk a little bit more about what what I'm suggesting and what what I think a lot of people have found about preparation and how important it is. Um At the other end, uh, is integration. So after the journey experience, after all, the journey experience could be, well, with some substances, maybe an hour. And with some, it's four, five, six hours, but that's it. And so there's the before and there's the after. And the after, what we call integration means that you're focusing on what did I learn? And what, what is that experience? In so far as it relates to my life, not just uh, the experience during that time, but how can I maybe benefit from what I learned to allow that experience to then be part of how I live? Uh, so, uh, there's various things that people can do that can make that more of a reality, make that, uh, part of Part of their life experience so one of the the primary important things about a, a psychedelic journey is safety and people need to know something about the substance that they're using that, that it's procured from a source that is reliable or trustworthy uh, they need to know something often about what that substance may induce or um activate in them because different substances do work differently. We have right now uh, a very widespread use of uh ketamine. And uh that's of course, as some of you probably know, ketamine is a is a drug that's used recreationally a lot in the rave scene and um and, uh, it is, it can be addictive. Uh, it's one of the, one of the only psychedelics that I think can really be addictive. But ketamine is being used in therapeutic settings, again, with a very wide range of, uh, care about the, um, inner workings of what it means to be in an altered state and how to make use of it. So what I mean by that is most if that I've become aware of of the ketamine clinics uh, that are there to help people with depression or chronic pain or um those are the two main things that they seem to promote are are running them like this. A person comes in, They sit in a comfortable chair and they're given either an IM injection or an IV uh, infusion of ketamine that lasts for maybe up to an hour. The person who administers that usually leaves the room and then comes back and unplugs and that's it, go home. So uh, and then there are those fewer who are literally doing therapeutic work prior to the experience leading up to it, sometimes for periods of time. And then uh, during the session are right there and communicating in whatever way is possible with that person. And then afterwards helping guide what begins an integration process. So um, another form of use with the the psychedelic substances that last like maybe five or six hours, like MDMA or 2CB, or um psilocybin, psilocybin mushrooms, uh ayahuasca and so forth, have much longer periods of time. And people who do these sessions uh, apparently uh, one-to-one usually have the person lie down, wear eye shades, have headphones with music playing. And again, very wide spectrum of how the guide or therapist, if it's you want to call it a therapist, is relating to the person during the experience from a very hands-off, just uh, give the person the medicine and then let them go through whatever they go through. Uh, just witnessing, uh, kind of holding this, this space, making sure the person feels safe to, um, a therapeutic interaction where the person talks and the guide responds and maybe even, uh, guides meditations. And, um, my, my, Particular interest in the potentials for uh, the emergence of psychedelics back into the uh, world uh, in a, is that they can uh, amplify spiritual practice. That's that's my my particular interest because uh, I've found that 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 has worked for me. Um, when I, as I said, I was in a group and learning a very deep form of meditative practice for about 10 or 11 years in the 70s. And when I got to experience uh, first MDMA and employed those same practices, which I had been experiencing very powerfully and which I had even been teaching, I'd become like a teacher in this particular meditation practice. Uh, I, I said, now I'm experiencing it for the first time. So, so the vivifying, the, the amplifying and, and making real of whatever experience we're having is a great potential for, uh, really making more powerful the experiences we have from spiritual practice. Um, so again, guidance. During a journey can involve that sometimes if the guide is, for instance, well practiced in meditation and maybe teaches meditation, they, they can encourage that focus of attention. And of course, one does that with the person's permission and then, and, and preparation so that one practices the meditation, uh, prior. Um, so, The goal, really, of meditation, of sorry, of of a journey, of a psychedelic and theogenic journey, uh, maybe I should clarify a little bit these words. Um, If you're not familiar with them, um, you're all familiar with the word psychedelic, but in many ways it's a very vague term, really. What does it actually mean and what, what is the experience like? The word entheogen, which translates literally into drawing forth the divine from within, really names that quality of the potential of some of these psychedelic experiences to, to bring about a spiritual awakening and to draw forth that aspect of the individual, which is presence, which is the divine, which is the higher self or Buddha nature. And, uh, so that's where the word entheogen has come in. Uh, and the word psychedelic, which has so much baggage really in, in a lot of, to a lot of people's minds because of abuse and it being essentially considered recreational uh people wanting just to get high um and avoid uh practice or discipline. Uh so entheogen is is a good word really. And and then the other substances are some of them, like MDMA, is called an empathogen because again it generates that quality that is already there in everyone but is often blocked off, which is empathy, starting with empathy for oneself. So one sometimes experiences uh, feelings that they've been holding about another person, about their parents, about things that happened when they were younger, and, and they can experience it without the kind of uh aversion and pushing away and you know, we talk a lot about in mindfulness that we're cultivating an attitude of uh of being able to discern and see and be aware without uh either pushing away or pulling towards us right and uh empathogens tend to tend to amplify that quality in people again if Particularly if a person is conscious of that possibility and seeking that. Um, so this brings me back to the, the question of preparation in the sense of, uh, set and setting. So, um, way back in the early days of, of the research with psychedelics before they were even illegal, the Harvard group, which was Timothy Leary and, uh, Dick Alpert, who became Ramdas and uh, Ralph Metzner, who was my primary teacher and guide in, uh, in learning about, um, these things, um, developed the concept of set and setting. And it's a very useful, uh, way of framing really any experience. Because what it's really saying is that what we experience is really a um, mixture or an interaction of what's inside us. That's the set. In other words, our hopes, our fears, our our goals, our intentions, and includes things that we're not aware of, unconscious, subconscious, uh, material. That's the set, all of what's inside us. And then whatever's outside of us, the immediate environment and, and even the cultural environment and the planetary environment, uh, is the setting, but particularly we would focus on the immediate environment. So where, where are we in? What kind of a room? What kind of decor are we in nature? Uh, who's there? Uh, so that interaction is largely what determines our experience at any time. And when we're on a taking, having taken a, one of these, what I call sacred medicines, uh, the, it amplifies that chemistry, that interaction between the, what's inside and what's outside, such that it, it's, it's very, very much more powerful we're really experiencing we're experiencing what we're experiencing is another way of, of of kind of saying it we're aware more vividly of what the flow of phenomena is that's passing through our our consciousness um, some so so preparing for a journey one wants to be as conscious as possible of their set. So the preparation would involve introspection, uh, like through journal writing, through maybe being in therapy, through uh, asking oneself really deep questions. Uh, what is it that still feels unhealed in me, unfinished? Uh, looking really back at one, uh, when, as I, when I encourage people to consider, they tell me they're preparing for a journey and, and I'm helping them in some ways to prepare because they're in therapy with me. I encourage them to go back and, and write their autobiography, not, not so much as a, a, a memoir, but as a kind of list. What were the significant events of your life, starting with your birth? Uh, because sometimes in a, in a psychedelic experience, people can revisit in a very vivid way, uh, pre-memory experiences, uh, going way, way back to where people experience the, what's called the perinatal time, immediately after birth, birth itself. Uh, they can experience being in the womb. And what, uh, imprints came from their mother, loving energy or perhaps anxiety. And, um, uh, so, uh, kind of the, the, the study or exploration of what's possible to experience can be part of the preparation. It, it isn't like, it's um programming a person to experience something. It's like opening to the possibility that, oh, maybe I could experience this. And maybe some of that way back there is some of the roots of the things that I struggle with today. Even though more traditional psychology pretty much focuses on just our lives as far back as we can remember childhood. Really, and uh, whereas in these kinds of journeys, one can experience transpersonal influences uh, that are affecting us and have affected us, intergenerational trauma, or not just trauma, but intergenerational transmissions of uh, wisdom teachings that came from that have been maybe lost in a, in the last couple of generations. So that's another thing, to be open to the possibilities of what one can experience is is good preparation. Um, I don't want to take all of the time uh, just talking, so um, how much time is there left in what I'm given to, to share?
1: Another 15 minutes.
3: Oh, Okay. Well, then maybe I'll, I'll open it right now. I could talk more, but I'll, I'll open it right now because I, I would be really happy to hear thoughts, questions from folks, concerns about this as you've been becoming aware or maybe participating in some of this, uh, what they call renaissance of psychedelic activity.
1: Clint has his hand up. Okay, yeah,
3: go ahead, Case. Clint?
1: Um,
2: I've I read several of Stanislav Groff's books uh-huh. about work that seems very similar to what you're talking about.
3: A lot and, of it comes from him.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, only I, I understand that, that because of legalities of using psychedelics that he's doing a holotropic breathwork as a substitute. Um, but I wondered, uh, if one wanted to pursue a therapy the type that you're discussing with the problem that some of these substances are still considered illegal, how, how can one pursue that? Eric?
3: Hmm. How, how can one, uh, have these work with these kinds of things w- given that it's illegal?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, mean I, I well, mean, I imagine. Okay. Sorry. Go yeah. on
3: no it's it's of course a, a significant question an important question um you know there are two two realms in a way where people can experience these things one is the very legal realm where what we call the above ground uh where um university hospitals and in in many areas now have various programs where they're researching and uh, providing people with the opportunity to work. It's essentially clinical. That is, a person has to have some particular issue, an addiction, depression. uh, They've been diagnosed at the end of life. And they have anxiety about that. And so they can, you know, apply to one of these programs. And if there's an opening, they can, they can get in. And of course it's free and they provide usually a lot of therapy before, during and after. Um, but it's very clinical. Now, then there's what's called the underground, which has been in existence all throughout the periods of prohibition and even currently, uh, only there's been, in recent times, an explosion of the underground uh because of the popularization of psychedelics. And so there's a very wide range, it appears, of experience that people who purport to guide sessions and facilitate groups have. Um, but it's essentially word of mouth. So in other words, it, it's likely that if you know people in San Francisco, you know somebody who knows somebody who know, <laughs> who's doing this kind of work or participating in this kind of work at this point. Um, yeah. hope that helps. If that's,
2: yeah, I, I, I know, for. I know the CIS, yes, the California Institute of Integral Studies deals a lot with, with therapy and psychedelics, but you know,
3: well, that's the thing. The CIS and a number of universities, even Harvard has a program training people to be psychedelic guides, but it's no experience. It's all academic. It's all, you know, uh, book learning, essentially, or lectures. And uh, that's not to say that the people that are in the programs probably, likely, um, have experiences in, in this underground world. But the programs don't have it. They don't include it, and they don't sanction it.
2: Right. Well, because of the legalities, I, I can understand that.
3: Totally. Yeah, it's still illegal, even in California. So stupid. <laughs> uh, thank it's you. destructive. Yeah, thank you. Um,
1: Greg? Hi, thank you very much for your talk. Um, could you talk a little more about... Uh, I mean,
2: I know you talked about con- um, consciousness as one... Byproduct of these experiences. Uh, and I'm sure if you if it's part of your preparation, read maybe read about if there are things, how
1: these substances, um, how, how they they affect people's consciousness
2: around their Buddhist practice, that kind of thing. Uh, but could you talk a little bit about? You know uh, relationships between this kind of experience and Buddhist, either meditation or Buddhist
3: um, teachings. Please. Well, yeah, absolutely. That, as I said, that is my primary interest. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily specifically Buddhist, but any spiritual practice that a person has, uh, there is a, a potential for these experiences to really deepen. The practice. Um, You probably know that the first wave of Buddhist teachers, primarily from what I understand from their reports, uh, initially were motivated to even explore India and Southeast Asia and, and these places and learn meditation because of their psychedelic experiences. And it occurred, the book Zig Zag Zen talks a lot about uh, and has a variety of perspectives from Buddhist teachers on the use of psychedelics. And that was written quite a while ago. Now, my understanding is that some Buddhist circles are um, allowing for and incorporating the use of psychedelics in sits, in, in sessions. Mm-hmm. Does anybody know if that's true? Uh, I have heard that. Um But, you know, the essence, as I understand it, of Buddhism, which is in some ways the essence of all religion, all spiritual practice, is to get in touch with and experience and embody Buddha nature. Mm. That's something that definitely uh, psychedelic experience can amplify. Mm. Well.
2: Thank you. A quick question. Do you do Zoom sessions or is it only helpful for the guide to be in person?
3: Oh, I'm not saying I'm a guide. I'm, I'm ah, an explorer of myself. And, uh, like I said, I prepare and, and help people through it. But, um, you know, I've heard of people doing Zoom, Zoom guidance. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't resonate to me that that's a great idea. Um, mm. Okay. It's it if it, it is a last resort, if there's no other possibility and there's a real a real good rapport like uh with the with the guide therapist that would work with them before and Thanks. You know, Experiences that I've participated in where I've been a participant in a group or have had a guide work with me individually is a very significant uh, connection mm-hmm. a very, that's live and that's the energy presence. And sometimes the touch of a person on the heart or holding a hand on the head can, can be really critical. And if that's not available, it, It's difficult. People sometimes go through catharsic, cathartic experiences, you know, opening up to places that have been locked away for a long period of time. Even opening up to deep spiritual experience can be very, very emotionally uh, moving. And the warmth of a person very close, not just on a computer screen, Mm -hmm. is, is really important
4: couple of people. Yeah.
3: You want to pick whoever's next? I didn't see who
4: was first. Tom Bruin has his hand up next.
0: Oh, hey, uh, Alan, thank you so much. I uh, always love hearing from you on this topic. Um, question. I'm wondering, do you categorize cannabis as something that can also be used for these types of spiritual insights, uh, you know, when used properly rather than just for fun and recreation?
3: Definitely. Yes, definitely. In fact, there's a book that I just became aware of. It was written by someone who's been doing just that, been doing what he calls, uh, psychedelic cannabis journeys for well over 10 years. I forget how long, but, um, and he, he that's the name of his book, Psych- uh, psychedelic cannabis. And he, he uses, um, that and and uses the same kind of protocol that people have learned to use with psilocybin and ayahuasca and other things of lying down, eyes closed or shades, uh, music, preparation, carefully set intentions and so forth. And he says that uh, the experiences are just as profound as when they used stronger psychedelics. And it's legal. He's in Colorado and it's legal in more than half of America now lives in a place where cannabis is legal. Um, right. What I've also found is that small doses of cannabis, small edibles like 2.5 milligrams or a small amount of the smoke for people who like to smoke, um, can amplify the meditative Practice that one learns to do or deepens doing in the entheogenic journey, and can bring it back. Small amount, right? And if you have time, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the
0: use of microdosing, uh, uh, especially during the integration phase. But that might be a whole other topic.
3: Yeah, it is. A, it is another topic, and it's to be honest, it's it's not one that I've become yet that familiar with. I'm, I'm not, I'm, yeah. Microducing. Yeah. It, it's definitely a big, big phenomenon and, uh, been watching to see where that, where that leads. Um, Sam, Samuel.
5: Yes, I'm well. Um, yeah, I just want to share a little bit about, um, a year or so before pre, 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 pre and <laughs> Pandemic. Um, I participated in a day long kind of ceremony of going use with the use of psilocybin. Uh-huh. Uh, the the facility we were a small group of like five or six people. The person uh, that facilitated it was trained in the o- Oaxacan tradition. Uh-huh. So we started with an initial ceremony, and then everybody. Um, you know, laid out on the floor with blindfolds and uh-huh. we went through it for, of course, the s- several hours and, and he had a soundtrack to it, which was quite profound in terms of yeah. taking us through the journey. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a very, pro- it was quite a profound experience. And then afterwards we had a couple hours to, journal writer integrated and then we shared a potluck at the end. But it, it was a very meaningful experience. And um yeah. yeah parts of it were quite difficult, but in the end it was it was like oh, you know, it was really um yeah. came, came to sort of a peaceful uh um uh, yeah. and Encom soundtrack support.
3: It's not a picnic. It's work. Oh. It's inner work. It's deep. Would you say, given some of the questions, that would you say that it helped your Buddhist practice? Um,
5: yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm actually a diamond approach person, but uh, yeah, the meditation, the spiritual journey, I mean, it's totally connected and, and uh-huh. profound. And yeah, I mean, there were certain uh, experiences that happened where I found... You know, I would like be resisting, resisting and felt like my egoic stuff and then I'd release it and it would like, you know, shift to another space. It was, mm-hmm. it's it quite, uh,
3: right. You really get viscerally and emotionally the teachings. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes are largely up here.
5: Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. uh,
3: oh, that's <laughs> I mean, what so- they mean by let it be. Yeah,
5: yeah
3: it means yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really let it all be all of it, everything, every little thing, every little piece of suffering and pain and 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 all the rest. Yeah,
5: yeah, I would say that. I mean, you know, I, I'm still I'm back to in my egoic reality <laughs> having. Well, that's where
3: the integration comes in, right? We all yeah. come back. But definitely come back to your who you were and uh, I,
5: yeah but what i want to say is but what came through is you know what is the teaching all the time in spiritual work is that it's a loving reality you know
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful well, when when that comes through. That when people can get through all of that, the layers and layers of armor and and stuff, and and they you know, inevitably get to that place where it, what they what we're told is true—that the essence of it all is love, that, and that our, we're here to be compassionate and kind beings and 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 help.
1: Yeah, so. Thank
3: you. It's, for, it's, it's the raw truth
6: presence today.
3: Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, John, you next.
6: Yeah, I think so. Thank you so much, Alan. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Young. Jung had a correspondence with, I think, a monk and, or at least a, a Catholic, some kind of c- Catholic order person. And that person asked Jung about the use of psychedelic substances and yoke's reply was um there's so much in my in the unconscious that i'm already kind of processing and integrating that uh, to open that door up for me at this point would be kind of premature and to me it kind of i guess my question is about bypass um Mm -hmm. and that edge between amplification and actually bypassing some kind of work that has to Happen um, in in another modality, if yeah. that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Um. Well, first thing about young, um, yes, young rejected the opportunity to to try. Psychedelics and he said something along those lines that, that you said that he's already got enough <laughs> access to the, the unconscious material and imagery and so forth. But again, he never tried it. Um, he's a genius and he contributed so much anyway. Um, I gave, I once gave a talk to the Jung Institute in, in the in Massachusetts about Jung and and, and psychedelics. Um, but so much of what Jung said and taught, many of us didn't understand until we took a psychedelic. Uh, so he may have had that kind of access naturally. I, I don't in any way, uh, claim or think that uh, it's only through psychedelics that people can have access to both deep psychological phenomena and spiritual phenomena. Many great spiritual teachers never took uh, a psychedelic, um, and and they've they've attained what they've attained. So it's useful for some people. It's not necessarily useful for everybody. The idea of spiritual bypass. I tend to think that. Um, Psychedelics in properly prepared and in the right setting tend to reduce spiritual bypass because it, like uh, the previous person who spoke, I, I forgot your name, but, um, you, you get down into some really difficult places. Sometimes you feel viscerally, physically and somatically the kinds of, uh, emotional uh, patterns that have, uh, rigidified in, in oneself. You, you literally feel that and, and you can find yourself in a kind of struggle with your shadow or in a very literal sort of way, a very vis- visual sort of way. And so. Um, again, it's, it's quite possible. And, and I don't, I have no doubt that people who use them more recreationally and without the right kind of guidance, it, it does produce, it can amplify the spiritual bypass phenomenon. Uh, that's, that's a danger. That's one of the dangers. Um, but again, that's why it's so important that people properly well, that people, well, I think of as properly, but um, that that there is a, a kind of sacred container and an intention to get to truth, not to just escape into
1: some kind of happy place. Um, Dave, did you want to say something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: the, the word holotropic has uh, been mentioned, I mean, I've had a couple experiences, uh, that I know one was specifically, uh, in a context of holotropic breathing was a large group of people involved music, uh, Mandela at the end of it. Uh, but then I've also had an experience, um, which I think was a bona fide prenatal experience, mm. uh, solely um, on my own, it wasn't planned and it was just really just a matter of deep breathing.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Thoughts about, um, having the kinds of experiences that, um, drugs, you know, as external substances, um, you know, there, that is a source, a uh, way to get those experiences. But what about having those experiences with just breathing?
3: sorry, what was the last thing part you said what about
4: uh, so how uh do you have thoughts about having those same kinds of experiences but the uh breathing breath work? I
3: yeah right? uh, yeah i, I uh, my thoughts are that that one can one can do that one can have those experiences i I was part of um the the vision quest work. Uh, for about 10 years while I lived in California and, and we would take groups, we would prepare, have meetings to prepare, set intentions. We'd go out into the desert wilderness and people would then go off and find an, a place to be alone for four days fasting with just water and that immersion in nature with no input from telephones or, or Anything like that and was, and then come back and share and integrate the experience provided, uh, a kind of, kind of slow cook altered state that was very, very profound and very, very helpful. And certainly the breath work that Stan, uh, Groff got into when LSD became illegal was, you know, provided those kinds of experiences for many people. Deep meditation, deep meditation practice uh, can certainly bring about those kinds of experiences. I do know that Stan uh, never gave up the notion that um, psychedelics can and do provide experiences that sometimes it's very difficult to get to in these other modalities. Just. It's, it, it, yeah.
1: Um, Thank you, Alan. We have to wrap up.
3: Yeah. Maybe, there's, maybe there's one other thing. Bharat uh, uh, sent me a message that maybe there would be some concern about would people of the boomer generation want to be doing something like this? And I would say, uh, of course, not necessarily, but one opportunity that, that um, often comes from the experience with a, a, a sacred journey of this kind is acceptance of where we are on the journey of life. Early, middle, late in life. There's wow. like an acceptance of the aging process, even the dying process, That is can be very, very, very profound. And I think that's a that's going to be a use to which these substances will, will contribute in our culture because the way we deal with death, the way we deal with aging and, and illness is, is very pathological as a culture. So I think it's one of the areas that these things can make a great contribution in.
4: Thanks, Alan.
2: Thank you. Do We have uh, announcements. A host, Mark. Oh, I am your host. Uh, Let's see here.
0: Uh, Please stay and enjoy the cookie of the Sangha. There are refreshments and hot water for tea. If you uh, need the card, just place it in the dip buffer face. It's great to receive it. I will be going around with the Donna Bowl to accept contributions to cover our expenses. Your generosity is appreciated. Uh, donations in the range of $10 to $20 self-assigned Amigas expenses, which include honorarium for our dormant, our dormant speakers, rent for this beautiful center, monthly and dinner for Barber Street Services, and our quarterly newsletter to our those know, we'll people in prison. There's a newcomer's sign-up sheet on Pedenza. If you wish to be included, in your our sign membership directory, please sign up and include the content information. You wish to share the group? And last, our uh, squad members go to lunch after the meeting. Everyone is welcome to join them. The group meets at the front door around 1230.
2: Thank you, Mark. Anybody else? <coughs> and welcome, Manuel and Jordan. Thank you.
5: Thank
1: you.
5: Thank you. Um I yeah, just wanted yes. to um, acknowledge that Mark has been a host for many years and um and I think he's taken away
0: for a little while. So we are going, we do need some people to, um, serve as hosts and um, do some volunteer work. We could use some, uh, Zoom tech, uh, people as well and, um, maybe even some facilitators going forward. So there are many opportunities to, um, serve and volunteer. Um, <laughs> To help the songa, so you could speak
2: to me after the meeting or contact us through the
1: the uh, website. Thanks.
2: Thank you, Cass. Thank you, Henry,
4: for being
1: the uh, Zoom Hilda today. (laughs) Um, So we gather in a circle for the dedication of merits.
2: By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion,
1: believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you so much, Alan.
3: So, that was great. Good. Thank, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. It's great having you. Okay. All right.
0: Bye, all. Bye, Alan. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.